This evening's reading is Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Good evening. Mary, thank you so much for reading for us. Let me open in in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for this invitation to praise you. Uh, Father, we confess that we often, um, we're really bad at it, if we're honest. And so, Father, we do pray that you'd help us today. Thank you that we have so many reasons to praise you. Um, Help us today to see um, some of them so that we would uh, live lives that, um, that pray, that, that are full of praise towards you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's psalm, like um, the previous two in our series, as well as the following two in, in the series in, our, in, our, in the psalms, opens and ends with this invitation to praise the Lord. Here at the very end of the book of Psalms, we are invited to praise the Lord. I wonder how well you think you are responding to this invitation. How easy do you find it to praise God? Or to put it slightly differently, how's your praising? How's your praising? Have you ever seen uh, that sign on the back of a lorry which says, how's my driving? How's my driving? This evening, I'm not interested in asking you about your driving, but I'm interested in asking you about your praising. If you were to ask yourself, how's my praising, how would you answer it? I'm guessing that you'd admit that there's some room for improvement. Indeed, if if we were totally honest, I think we'd probably admit that there's a significant amount of room for improvement. If I could choose only one word to describe the condition or state of my praising, it would be this, inconsistent. My praising is inconsistent. How so? For example, I find it easier to praise God when things are going well in my life than when they are not. So on the way here tonight, I was trying to print off my talk, and it just wasn't happening for me. And I was pulling my hair out, which is why I'm here with my iPad now. So um, 
Yeah, please to be praying silently that my, that my battery would hold up. <laughs> it's hard to praise God when things aren't going our way. It's, it's easy to praise God when, when you get promoted at work, when you, when you good, get a good grade in, in your exam, or when you're relatively healthy. But what about when instead of getting promoted at work, you lose your job? What about when you don't get the grades you needed? What about when your body and mind are not doing or not working in the way you want them to? It can be a lot harder to praise God then, can't it? Our praise sometimes can feel like a seesaw, a violently moving from one state to another. Again, before coming here uh, this evening, I was in praise mode, but then my laptop failed on me. It was a lot harder to praise God at that time. So sometimes our praise can feel like a bit of a seesaw. At other times, it can feel like a bit more like a, a tidal river, fluctuating according to, to how well we're feeling or how well we think things are going for us. Having said that, even when life is going well, doesn't it still feel like our praising is below par? Isn't it true that even in the good times, we forget to praise God? We do. And I think we do because we regularly take the blessings we have for granted. And, and this praising problem of ours isn't something, it, it, it isn't anything new. It's, it's not merely a 21st century issue. The Apostle Paul highlights this very same issue in Romans 1. Listen to what he says there. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, ungod- against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Let me repeat that last bit. They neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. According to the Apostle Paul, our world has a praising problem. It doesn't give God his due praise. And this problem is one that goes all the way back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve, instead of honoring and praising God, choose to rebel against him. And the world's, the world's ability to praise God has been hampered ever since. Not only do, do many people in the world outrightly refuse to praise God, but even those who do praise him do so imperfectly. So what will God do about this praising problem of ours? He's going to restore the praise that rightly belongs to him. He's going to restore the praise that belongs to him. And how will he do that? That's the question I want us to think about uh, this evening. How will God restore the praise that belongs to him? But before we answer it, before we, before we get to the solution to the world's praising problem, the psalmist wants to show us what a rightly ordered universe, one where the praise of God is at the center, looks like. And I think he does this partly so that we will long for that kind of universe. 
So what does a praise-oriented universe look like? It is one where the heavens praise God. This is covered in verses 1 to 6. Our first point is the heavens praise God. So the author says there in verse 1, Praise the Lord from the heavens. Now what does that mean? What does it mean for the heavens to praise the Lord? The author goes on to explain it to us in verses 2 to 4. And this is how he does it. He begins by looking as high as he possibly can into the spiritual realm of heaven, as it were. Imagine that he has a a special God-given telescope which enables him to look directly into the heavenly realm. As he looks up, he sees angels who he says in verse 2 are to praise God. Now, this might sound a bit odd to us. Why do angels need to be told to praise God? Don't they already know that they are to do that? And don't they do it intuitively? The reason I think they're they're told to praise God is because they are rational beings who can choose not to praise Him. Indeed, we know from other parts of the Bible that there are angels who, instead of praising God, have chosen to rebel against Him. And so this explains why the angels are called to praise God. So what does it mean for the, for the heavens to praise God? It means that the angels are to praise him. What else does it mean? It means that stars, satellites, and skies are to praise him, as we see in verses 3 and 4. If we, if we thought it was weird for angels to be told to praise God we probably find it even more strange that inanimate bodies like the sun and the moon are told to praise him. What does it mean for them to praise God? How can the sun praise God? I think verses 5 and 6 can help us. They tell us why the heavens are to praise God. Spot the reason as we read those verses. Verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at his command, they were created, and he established them forever and ever. Why are the heavens to praise God? Because they were created by him. So I think, I think the way the sun and moon praise God is by purely doing what they were created to do. So for example, in Genesis 1, it says that they were created to give us light. So when they do that, they are praising God. They praise God by doing what they were created to do. So what does a praise-oriented universe look like? It involves the heavens, which includes heavenly beings like angels as well as spatial objects like the sun and the moon praising God. What else does it involve? It also involves the earth praising God. This is our second point. The earth praises God, verses 7 to 13. Just as the call in verse 1, praise the Lord from the heavens, served as a header for the content in verses 1 to 6, so too the call in verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth, serves as a header for the content in verses 7 to 13. But while in verses 1 to 6, the author began by looking as high as he could into the heavenly realm, 
and then moved his gaze downwards to the stars and then further down to the skies. In verses 7 to 13, the author begins by looking as low as he can and then moves his gaze upwards. So he starts by looking into the depths of the ocean in verse 7. And he calls on the creatures there to praise God. And then moving up in verse 10, he calls on the animal, he calls on the animals on the land to praise God. And then moving up again, he calls on the animals in the air to praise God. Finally, in verses 11 and 12, he calls on people, the climax of God's creation, to praise God. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, a young or elderly, or even if you're the Queen of England, you are called to praise God. But it's not only animals and people who are called to praise God, even meteorological phenomena, verse 8, mountains and hills, verse 9a, and mango trees and maple trees, verse 9b, are called to praise God. What's the author getting at? The whole earth is to praise the Lord. And what's the reason it is to do so? Because his name is great. Look at verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Why are we to praise God? His splendor or majesty is, is higher than the earth and the heavens. That is, his glory extends beyond the farthest bounds of the universe. So wherever you look, whether that be on the earth or in the heavens, you will not find anything or anyone more majestic, more glorious, more wonderful than God. We all want to praise something, don't we? It might be Manchester United. It might be Machu Picchu. It might be the Mona Lisa. Nothing, nothing is as worthy of our praise as our God is. He is the one who deserves our praise more than anything else. We just read about his splendor, his majesty. As we saw in Romans 1, humanity has refused to praise God. So what will God do about it? When you read Psalm 148, you expect the psalm to finish at verse 13. Why? Because it's actually a very neat summary of the verses that have come before it. But the psalm doesn't end there. The psalm contains another verse, which at first glance seems a bit out of place. Yet this verse is crucial to our understanding of the psalm. Have a look at verse 14. And he, that is God, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. In every verse up in the psalm up until this one, the heavens and the earth are called to praise God. But did you notice what's different about the people in verse 14? They're not being called to praise God. 
Rather, they are already praising him. So here we do not find a prescription of praise, but rather a description of praise. Now, what is it that has caused these people to praise God? We find that God has done something, don't we? Namely, he has raised up a horn. And it is this that causes his people to praise him. So far, we've seen that a praise-oriented cosmos is one where the heavens praise God and one where the earth praises God. But now we discover what is needed for humanity to truly praise God. We learn that we need God to intervene. It is God's intervention which causes people to praise him. That is, it's God's intervention which turns rebellious, reluctant praise givers into willing, joyful praise givers. Our third point is God causes his people to praise him. Now, in order to understand how God has caused his people to praise him, we first need to understand what the horn is. What exactly is this horn that God is said to have raised up? The horn symbolizes a king, a king who brings salvation to his people and offers them protection. Who is the king par excellence in the Old Testament? King David, the one who defeated Goliath and is described as a man after God's own heart. Having this type of king caused the Israelites to praise God. Now this idea of of the horn is also picked up in the New Testament. Listen to what Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, says in Luke 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Who is the horn according to Zechariah? It's the royal descendant of David. It's the king. The horn that God has raised up is the king who brings salvation. And we discover in Luke's gospel that the horn, the king, is Jesus. Friends, how how does God bring about our praise? What does he do that leads to our praising him? He sends us King Jesus to bring us salvation. And this salvation is so spectacular that not only is it powerful enough to move us from rebellion to praise, it's so powerful that it brings about a new heavens and a new new earth where praise is the order of the day. In the new cosmos, praise will be our default setting. Our praise will no longer be inconsistent. We'll no longer have a grumbling mode, self-centered mode, or sin mode. We'll only have a praise mode. Listen to how the Apostle John shared what the new heavens and new earth will be like when King Jesus, God's horn of salvation, returns to bring his salvation to complete fulfillment. This is what he says in Revelation 5. 
Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, do you find praising hard? Look forward to that day when praising God will be the most natural thing you could ever dream of doing. In that day, nothing will get in the way of your praising God. Not even a laptop that doesn't want to play ball. Nothing will hinder you from enjoying his splendor and praising him for his saving mercy. No, no bad news will get in the way of your praising. No frustrations will get in the way of your praising. No sickness will get in the way. No sin will get in the way. You'll be able to praise God fully. Yes, our praising might be inconsistent now. But oh, how marvelous it is to know that we're not going to stay that way. Friends, let's, let's allow that future, that future that Revelation paints for us to fuel our praise, even today. When we struggle to praise, let's remind ourselves of just how great the new cosmos is going to be. Where we'll be free to wholeheartedly and single-mindedly praise the Lord. Let's not, let's not give up on praising God today just because our praise is inconsistent. Inconsistent praise is better than non-existent praise. I love what this, this passage says at the end there, verse 14. How does God describe his faithful servants, his people? The people are close to his heart. Are you, are you here? Are you, for those of you who are here who are Christians, how are you described? As someone who is close to God's heart. There's a wonderful reason to praise God. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we often find it hard to praise you. Um, our praise often depends on, on how we're feeling. Um, and we admit and confess that we, we would love to praise you so much better than we currently do. But Father, we do thank you that for those of us who, who know Jesus, we do praise you, um, however imperfectly. Uh, Father, we do pray that you would cause us to, to think about all you have done for us so that our praise would improve. We would get better. Our praising would get better through the work of your Spirit in our lives. And Father, we thank you so much that there will be a day where our praise will no longer be inconsistent, but where we will enjoy you um, forever and nothing will get in our way. Thank you so much. Father, may we look forward to that day and may we seek uh, joy in that day and not uh, things in this world. Father, may we not praise the things of this world, but praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.